stop, listen, and ask yourself, have you ever pondered at the idea that there may be something to the other side? If so, and you're hearing my voice for the first time, then you may have just fallen into the void. This is Jim. This is Nick. And we're falling with G-Man into the void. Well, hey there, hello there, and welcome, bats and ghouls, to a very special Halloween episode of Into the Void, the podcast that talks about anything and everything paranormal. I am your ghost host with the most G-Man, and may I just say, happy Halloween! That's right, the day has finally arrived for us to don our ghoulish disguises, fantastic hero outfits, and creative garment creations to fill our faces and hearts with nostalgia, excitement, and frights. What better way is there to celebrate this wondrous holiday and final episode of the season than by joining us here for one heck of an episode for you. Now, I'm not going to waste too much time here because for this Halloween episode, we have with us a very special guest. And yes, I said last episode of the season, but don't you worry. We've got just what you need to turn that frown Upside down, as today's special guest is a Harvard University graduate, creative writing instructor, and phenomenal writer who has worked on multiple well-known films, including a popular cult classic. So sit back, relax, light some sage, and grab your crystals, because it's time to fall with me into the void of Halloween. As always, before we get this spooktacular train rolling, a big thank you to you, listener. Your continued support has helped this show grow so much. Not only have we surpassed our goal of 500 followers on Instagram, but we have had the absolute pleasure of interviewing some truly amazing people this season. This is all because of you, listener. Your continued support has encouraged us in so many ways. If you enjoy what we have been doing here and would care to show your support, we welcome you to do so by joining our Patreon. On Patreon, you'll find many ways you can help support this show and its future endeavors. So once again, thank you for your overwhelming support. And let's keep the gratitude going with a big shout out to... Michelle Halloween. Michelle is a Halloween horror enthusiast who writes for website and social media page Creepy Kingdom. She is the editor-in-chief for Roll of the Dead magazine and was just recently the film judge and host for the Pasadena Horror Film Festival. Be sure to check out her YouTube channel, simply titled Michelle Halloween. Be sure to visit all her social media pages and website at michellehalloween.com, where Michelle becomes a horror host of interviews and much more. That's michellehalloween.com, michellehalloween.com. And a second shout out to our good friend and fan to the show, Joey Mora, who's hosts a podcast called The Downtuned. Tune in and explore with Joey as he discusses a multitude of topics varying from music, life, spiritual conspiracies, and of course, the paranormal. Catch the downtune on YouTube and Spotify. And last but not least, what kind of Halloween special would this be without a spooky word from our sponsor for today's episode? It's got thrills, it's got chills. Need a better way to enjoy the spooktacular evening that is Halloween? 
Need a place where you can engage with some frightfully fun discussions on horror films and TV genre? Then look no further. Just visit Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet is a podcast hosted by mother and daughter duo Lori and Lee. Join them as they explore everything from hauntings, mystical monsters, mediums, urban legends, and even witchcraft through the ages. It's a fun and informative ride filled to the brim with magical lessons, pop culture references, and ludicrous tangents. Be sure to tune in on any one of these podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Pandora, and YouTube. That's Uncle Bob's Magical Cabinet. Welcome back, bats and ghouls. It's time now to bring in my amazing co-hosts. Now, you know him from his podcast called Keeping Up with the Nerds Variety Hour and working behind the county here at Undercity Comics in Whittier, California. We know him as the man who runs the soundboard and more. Bats and ghouls, put your claws and wings together for the one, the only, Mr. Rene. Please take one. Bravo. <laughs> Please take one. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Rene. Happy Halloween, man. <laughs> I like that one. I had another one. Yeah. Uh, which was Renee's Scooby Snacks, Bravo. Oh, yeah? But for some reason, what happened was, actually, I'll tell you for some reason, what happened was I was going through some Halloween stuff, yeah. and I found my cauldron that I use every year for Halloween, uh-huh. and there was a sign that that says, please oh, take please one. Take one. <laughs> <laughs> also joining Renee and myself is a man who can teach a pack of werewolves proper dinner etiquette while teaching a coven of witches how to dance the tango. Bats and ghouls, please welcome all the way from his car to the studio. It's the strange one. Hey, hey, listener. Glad to be back. Happy Sam Hine to you. Fair night, fair evening, and good day. Hey, happy Halloween, strange one. Happy Halloween. <laughs> well, if I may, gentlemen, can we acknowledge the elephant in the room? Um, it's invisible, right? It's an invisible <laughs> it's elephant. Invisible. It's somewhere. Like I know, I know it was somewhere here. <laughs> it's our last episode of the season. Oh, that's the elephant. Yeah. That is the elephant in the room. Is that it's our last episode <laughs> of the season? And what a ride it's been! Mm-hmm. Holy moly! That's crazy. I mean, how do we even <laughs> summarize it? How do we summarize this? You know? Well, it's been an adventure. It really has. Yeah. It really has. Oh, my goodness. From the beginning of the season to COVID coming in yeah. to doing some of the episodes here at the house. I mean, I, I'm sorry, here at the house, at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we even got to have a homecoming episode. Mm-hmm. Like, that was surprising. Yeah, it was. You know? Oh, my goodness. Well, gentlemen... I believe it's time for our main event. And what better time than now on Halloween? So, without further ado, please help us in welcoming our very special guest, a mysteriously intriguing individual who has worked on many films such as The Lord of the Rings and The Golden Compass and has even worked on a cult classic, Donnie Darko and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In 2016, she published an award-winning novel called The 13th Continuum. And in 2020, she published and is still currently producing an amazing series called Disney Chills under the name 
Vera Strange. You may have seen her on the Midsummer Screen Live Telethon, Bats and Ghouls. It is my privilege to welcome to the studio, all the way from Malibu, California, the marvelous Jennifer Brody. Hey guys, thanks for having me into your cool studio. I'm geeking out. <laughs> There's a lot of nerd stuff in here that's making me happy. <laughs> well, Jennifer, welcome to the show. And hey, happy Halloween. I know. I can't believe we're in spooky season. You wouldn't know from the heat wave in oh, California yeah. right now. Yeah. And it's so funny. Um, every time we get into October, I always think of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas when Jack is walking through the forest and the sun is up and it's hot out, but it's a pumpkin sun. Yep. So now now when it happens, I just think of the pumpkin sun shining down on everybody, you know, waiting for Halloween to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm probably a little more realistic. I always think, well, it wasn't as hot as it was before. So I'm just going to think that I can handle this heat. OK, OK. But I definitely get used to the, the nights when it gets cool. I'm like, I'm going to sit outside now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I turn off the AC. I put the fan on. I open the windows up, cool the house down. I mean, it's uh but I imagine, Jennifer, you're you're from Malibu, so what's the weather like over there? I mean, I'm not originally from there, but Malibu is usually about 15 degrees cooler than anywhere else, okay. and then I just hit the beach, so I don't really mind nice. that it's hot this late. I am from the, uh, well, I was born in the Virgin Islands, but I grew up in the East Coast, oh, so okay. I've had real winter, so I, I'm not that nostalgic <laughs> for real winter. I'm like, you guys, you don't know how good it is. <laughs> Although I do like snow, but I like the option here in California where you have to go to the snow. And then you can leave the snow. And then you can leave. It doesn't and, persist. And go to the beach in the same day. Exactly. You know, I, I'm all I'm all for being able to go to the beach at the same day, go to the mountains and play in the snow. I am. But I really have always wanted to grow up and live in an area where when it snows, it snows. When there are blizzards, there are blizzards. And when you walk out your door, you basically walk out with a shovel in your hand and you're shoveling your way all the way to your car. You say that now. I, now, <laughs> I, yes, that's true. There are a lot of um, uh, Bostonians that will say, you say that now. And yeah, then that's when you, how I felt when yeah. I was at Harvard. I was like, by the last year, I was like, that's it, I'm moving to LA and I'm never moving again. Oh, uh, okay. I've been here since college. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it would be a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, it will be a pain in the butt to have to shovel snow all the time. But but if that's your job, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have work. <laughs> so, Jennifer, as you know, this is a paranormal show and we will get to the spookiness in a minute. But first, let's talk about you and some of your achievements, starting with your involvement in Hollywood. Oh, Yeah. Um, I still do a lot of Hollywood stuff. I love working on movies and TV shows. Nice. Okay. Now I just more work on my own material, which we're currently packaging. A lot of my projects are in different stages right now. And okay. hopefully we'll start moving towards getting financing and maybe actually making some things. COVID's been a situation, though, of course. Right. Yeah. For yeah. everyone with production starting and closing and all the pitches are Zooms now. And yeah. Just like everyone else in the world, we're having to adjust. I'm lucky that I still have so much going on because um, I know a lot of people don't. And a lot of even books got pushed. Right. Yeah, I've heard. But yeah, I'm just like a huge film nerd. I actually wasn't <laughs> even intending to be a writer. I did study film at Harvard and art. And I did uh, intern at Disney while I was for some producers on the lot. 
while I was in college. And then I moved out here and started working as an assistant in the trenches. My first job was at Platinum Dunes. I was the first hire at Michael Bay's company. And the wow. first film we did was Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Oh, man. Yeah, my parents were very concerned. We were, they were like, <laughs> we put you through college and you're working on what? <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. <laughs> and like we were the first. No one else had really done remakes at that point. Yeah. So everyone thought we were a little bit crazy, but it ended up being like a huge success. Oh, so. Yeah. Oh yes, it was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great film, super dark, and you can either love us or hate us for starting the whole remake trend that has really <laughs> overtaken the business yeah. to a large degree. Uh, yeah. So that was the first film, and then I jumped fairly quickly over because I wanted to work at a studio. My dream job was to work for Mark Wardeski on Lord of the Rings. Beautiful. He was the head of Fine Line on the heads of the studio. I'm a huge nerd, and Fellowship of the Ring had just opened, so I came on with. Mark before Two Towers. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I worked with him all the way through the end of Return of the King and a couple other projects. So oh it was gosh. a really exciting time to that's be at the awesome. studio. Oh man, that's some of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, that's oh, wonderful. Yeah. So everybody's favorite. One of everybody. Oh yeah, they're just yeah. so fantastic. I mean, they're great movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have well the, done. I have the extended edition on Blu-ray. Well, yeah. that's the only way to go. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, that's it. Now I, can't I know. Go back. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, "How long is the Return King extended?" I'm like, four hours plus, and we're doing it." <laughs> we don't stop till morning. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I've been yeah. there, done that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So you uh, you worked on a cult classic, which to this day is still one of my favorite movies to watch, especially around the Halloween season, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Donnie Darko, yo. Yes. What was your involvement with this film? I was an intern for the production company that actually financed and made the film. So it was the summer that I was out in L.A. Um, as a student from Harvard. I was working for a producer named Hunt Lowry. His company is called Hunt Lowry Productions. They were housed in the old animation building on the Disney lot. Oh, okay. And Hunt did, had done a lot of big films. He did one of my favorites, Last of the Mohicans, that yeah. Michael Mann directed. yeah. He just finished a film that premiered that summer um, that nobody remembers, but was called Disney's The Kid that starred Bruce Willis and yeah. Spencer Breslin. Yes. It was actually yes. a really adorable film. John Turtletop directed it. I liked it. The premiere was at Disney World or Disneyland. It was super fun. Um, but they had raised financing and independently were making Donnie Darko. It was a little $5 million under production that shot in L.A. It was Jenna Malone, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, the director. It was his first film straight out of USC that he wrote and directed. Wow. He never really did anything that great again. Poor, poor thing. Mm-hmm. But the film itself was cool, and we shot um, locally. So I'm not going to say like I wasn't like in charge of it or anything, but I was definitely around when we were making it on the set and just kind of in the whole process of it. And it was just exciting. And I mean, obviously, we thought it was going to be a good film. We didn't realize that it was going to become this cult classic Mm -hmm. with as big of a release as it ended up getting Mm -hmm. and really stand the test of time. I mean, obviously, you hope that that's what you're doing when you Mm -hmm. make anything. But it was just this little movie. You know, it wasn't even a studio film at that point. Um, And I think Drew Barrymore's company also was producing it with them. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're in Flower Films. Uh, Yeah, great script. Great little movie totally oh, weird <laughs> that that movie still to this day it's i mean haunting. It, it is oh, yeah. it really is haunting and it still holds a really special place to me same you know um it falls great into that soundtrack too the oh, music oh, is yes. fantastic yes. Mm-hmm. um especially the last song at the end of the film oh you yeah know, that that really uh it hits me every time yeah every the cover time. of mad world mm-hmm. is so yeah. good i always love that one mm-hmm. you know uh another person another singer that did the cover of that song was adam lambert 
I love Adam Lambert. He did an amazing mm-hmm. cover of that song. I always seem to be um, one degree away from Adam Lambert. Lately, I've been around <laughs> a lot of people. My friend plays in his band. Someone else used to oh, hang out wow. with him a lot. Yeah, I'm like, I don't That's know why funny. I'm constantly one degree from Adam Lambert lately, but I have been. But yeah, he's a great that, singer. He's so mm-hmm. talented. Yeah. Oh, man. So um, in a in a live interview you did with Dark Delicacies, uh, you mentioned that you were heavily involved, like you said, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Now, how did that come about, though? Well, I was, again, the first hire at Platinum Dunes when we were, again, making this crazy movie. Uh, a guy named Mike Fleiss had gone off and gotten the rights to remake it from Toby Hooper, who's obviously a legend in this arena. And Mike went on to create The Bachelor. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'll never forget <laughs> hanging out with him back then. I was so young, and, and I think we were out of drinks, and he's like, I've got this idea for the show. It's called The Bachelor. And like this was right when I think American Idol had started Survivor, but there wasn't a lot of other reality and scripted stuff happening in a big way. Mm. And so I'll never forget when it finally aired. I was like, oh, that's that show he was talking about, <laughs> you know. Um, and he had brought it to Michael Bay. And we did a lot of market research that told us that People knew the title, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but especially young people had never seen the original film. Right, yeah. But it had this kind of scary aura around it where people were afraid of it. And, you know, there's that whole thing, is it a true story, is it not, that totally made up, but we totally mess with, you know? Right, yeah. And so I came on board right when we were starting the process of making that film. Uh, Michael shot a teaser for it. I helped get Marilyn Manson to do the music for the teaser. Wow. That was me, because I'm a huge Manson fan. I brought thank him you. in to meet with everyone. <laughs> yes, thank you for thank that. You. It was a total trip. Like, he came in. I was like, you guys, this guy's awesome. I'd seen him in concert a lot. I was like, he's super smart. I brought my CDs in. Like, we got him in the office. He brought him to Michael. Michael loved him. And then I just remember I had to drive up to his house in the Hollywood Hills to get the music. And my bosses were freaking out and, like, calling me. And, like, it's before GPS. So I was like, I don't even know where I am. It was like off a dirt road in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, man. And then I get there. And of course, it's like a super goth kind of house. And this is back when he was dating Dita Von Teese, And I just remember she came to the door in a negligee to answer it. And I was wow. like, hey, Dita. And then Manson comes out and gave me this burned disc. And it was like, do whatever you want with this. And it was like this like music wow. that we ended up using for this teaser. And the teaser is dope. It's basically a dark screen. I hear a woman yelling and screaming mm-hmm. and running, and then she gets to the end of this hall, and she can't get through the door, and then a chainsaw rips through the door. Mm. That's the first time you see anything, and then it says, like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming. I remember that. Do you? Yeah, yeah it was, it was, was yeah. really great. And that's yeah. Michael has, um, you know, he has, in my opinion, pluses and minuses and some flaws, but um, he is a real big talent for certain visuals and certain marketing genius that I think he really Wonderful. does have. Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then um, I left. I can't remember what stage of production we were in, but I went to New Line, but then New Line ended up inking a first look deal with Platinum Dunes, and my boss ran that. So I was still very involved with those guys and ended up working a lot on the prequel. Okay. So we developed that and put Dave Scow on it to write, who I love. Dave is a big horror guy, but he wrote The Crow, very famously. Right. One of my all-time favorites. Okay. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, And he, I think he's responsible for coining the term splatterpunk. Really? He's one of the authors that took horror from being kind of moody in 70s to being like hardcore. Okay. Dave, I mean, he's still amazing. He's still around. He just wrote on Creepshow. Um, Hey, Dave, how are you? If you hear this ever. Uh, He's my bro. I love him. So he's a character. But yeah, so he ended up writing that for us. um, And we put a director named Jonathan Liebsman on it and developed Leatherface's backstory and the whole nine yards. So that was sort of what was going on with all those. You know, I um, love horror movies. I'm a big fan. I've heard you mention this before about talking about how you guys came up with Leatherface's backstory. How did I mean, is that like a a process? Is that like a like you? 
draw a web and then, you know, this is how he is. This is what he was like growing up or this is his family. Or I mean, a lot of it was Dave, you know, we were like, you know, just figuring it out. Like, where was he born? Well, obviously on the floor of a slaughterhouse, right? Where else <laughs> yeah. was Leatherface born? Yeah. You know, um, it was a lot of just taking taking what uh, Toby Hooper had done in the original, which is really fantastic. Oh, and, yes. and the yeah. themes of it, where it is very much about the family. It is very much about, you know, them trying to survive mm-hmm. as, you know, different economic changes hit the town. You know, right. there's always those allegorical themes for what is this really about and then the dirty hippies are coming through you know and that's what I love about those movies too is that like you're sitting there and the first time I ever watched them I was like oh this is gory like what am I watching then you go back and as you're older you realize there's a whole backstory for this family Mm -hmm. oh yeah you know it's not a matter of you know the family is taking people left and right it's like you said they're trying to survive they're trying to you know adapt to the new way of life that's happening around them definitely so in building out the prequel we were really looking at that and like you know how did um we I love the actor who plays the sheriff but how did he get involved in it Harley Army is amazing oh man he's amazing so great and you know Jordana Brewster is great in the prequel um I think the casting's really strong. But yeah, I think um, because I do write a lot of horror and I have worked on a lot of horror films. And for me, it's always like taking like what really is the core, like strip away like the gore, the supernatural elements or whatever. Like what is really the heart of the story? And I don't think you can talk about Texas Chainsaw without it being about the family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And small town. Oh, yeah. And how the factories are closed. I mean, that's really what happens. The Mm -hmm. factory closes in the town and then they're just trying to survive. Yeah. And then obviously it is taking place in this time where there is this cultural shift, right, with the 60s. Right. they are hippies yeah. they burn a draft card you know we put that in the film that's right which is very much goes in the face of what the small town Americana stands for things right. about and I think you know what's interesting is that a lot of these things themes are still really even now like so relevant for better mm-hmm. or worse in terms of some of the divisions that are going on politically agreed, yeah. agreed. and in terms of the socioeconomics in this country mm-hmm. there's a pretty big divide right now and that film is really kind of cutting down the heart of it so yeah. now is the time to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. now is yeah. the time I think so. I think you I just know? made a great pitch for yeah. being relevant. Yeah. Plus, it's really scary. It's <laughs> yes, that's for sure. <laughs> it's the movie for 2020. Is Absolutely, yeah. It oh, might be. Uh, yeah, like everyone says, like, what is? I was like, I feel like Tarantino is directing 2020. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good way of putting it. It's like, I think at, this, like, at the, the end charge? of the year, we're going to go back to the beginning and see how this all began. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. You're well, right. <laughs> I mean, I got to do this again? We'll get a prequel of 2020. <laughs> yeah, go back to Wuhan province. Right. <laughs> so, oh man! Where did where did the the diner where it all broke out? <laughs> and it's gonna be like Resident Evil done by Quarantine, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I would yeah. watch that Tarantino. Please do a Resident Evil. Oh, Boy, would oh, I watch ooh, him with how that? How great just, would that be? Yeah, and bring back uh, what's the actress's name? Kate Beckinsale? Oh no, she no, it's Mia, uh, Mia Jovovich. Yeah. Kate Beckinsale's Underworld. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were just talking about that. Too. Yeah, we were just talking about Underworld <laughs> love, today. Yeah, I would actually watch his version of that too. That would be interesting. Ooh, Tarantino yeah. just takes over the horror game. You know. He's already done Vampire as well. I mean, yeah. it's not. Oh, yeah. That's right. Well done is fantastic. I think it's a very great underrated. Film. Great oh, film. Yeah, yeah. extremely underrated, but great film. I think I saw that before I saw Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And it came was, out right around when Desperado came out, and I remember loving that, the Robert mm-hmm. Rodriguez film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, yep. They're just fun. What I loved, by the way, of Desperado is um, how it was shot, how that entire Gosh, movie was amazing. shot. He's amazing. Yeah, and he even... Um, 
in film classes, actually, you take these film classes, they go over how he shot each one of those scenes and they, they bring up like, um, uh, behind the scenes stuff of like what he did and everything. So no, he's yeah. super innovative, obviously a genius, has his own studio in Austin, right? going all the way back to Toby Hooper, Terry Malick is based out of there. Like there's a lot of the good filmmakers that are in that kind of area. I think oh, he's yeah. in Austin. I think Rodriguez's place is in Austin. Oh yeah, definitely. He, he does all his own stuff in house. I mean, he really is a genius. That's for sure. Sorry, I'll nerd out on film. Oh today. no, no, oh, it's fine. Great. Please, no, please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy this conversation. Me though. too. <laughs> so. I feel like we could just sit here and just listen to you talk about films and and you know people that worked in films and directors and producers. I mean, it's just. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It is. I'm just like such a geek for it. And I mean, I think at the heart of it, I'm not really a critic. I just really love them. Like, mm, you yeah. know, and I think it's so exciting when someone does something innovative or groundbreaking or I love horror. I love anything that scares me, except I get more excited than scared. Usually okay. it takes a lot to really scare me. There are a couple of films that have really gotten under my skin, but it's very rare. Okay. And if yeah. something does, I'll give it like major props. I'll let you, you got me. I'm the Good. same way. I'm exact same way. Yeah. And I love to break down movies too. Um, that's why I really enjoy the conversation. My brother, he actually works with, um, with Bloomhouse. Oh, and, I love uh, them. One of my producers I work with was the started that with Jason, and she's oh, on a. Hor I have a horror project that's fully packaged with a script, uh, and she's fantastic. But they, I love their business model, and I love a lot of the films that they do. Yeah, I've been enjoying that. I think he came on when after, after the body. Um, Mm -hmm. they, that's when he he joined them. Uh, so he's been working now since he's been on hiatus, since everybody's been yeah. dealing with COVID. But they're back into into shooting and I, he's posting up his videos of uh, on set when behind the scenes. So it's I noticed so I've noticed. Yeah, I've seen some of those photos. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that some productions are starting up because I'm itching. I want to get into production on some things. And like, <laughs> I, I imagine there's such so. a high demand for content. It's this weird time where I think uh, the demand for content has never been higher. Mm. The theaters and the studios are dying, but mm -hmm. it's the height of the streamers. Yeah. You know, and I think everyone's at home, like everyone's burning through their Netflix queues yeah. and their Amazon queues <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, or yeah. their Disney Plus. And so the Guilty demand is crazy high. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, because of the shutdown, Downs. There's no way there's, to supply it. There, yeah, there's a vacuum. Right. So I think whoever's savvy enough or hustles enough to start to get stuff out, there's a real opportunity. And I think it is going to be more like the Blumhouse model in terms of like down and dirty, like get the mm, stuff financed, yeah. get out there instead of like, you know, just being complacent and wait till you make your $200 million film. I think it's going to be these films. Yeah. And you're going to wind up oh, on yeah. Netflix. I mean, Disney Plus is dumping everything straight to Disney Plus. Yeah, they are. They are. You know, oh, that's right. And like, I didn't play for Mulan. Don't hate me, Disney, but I, I will play pay for Black Widow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that, I gotta see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I know we could talk about films and, and movies uh, for hours and hours on end, but I do want to talk about uh, your award-winning, and by award-winning, I mean the Moonbeam Children's Award Gold Medal for your book called The Thirteenth Continuum, which was the first of a series that includes Return of the Continuums and the United Continuums. Uh, in 2017, you recorded a video for the ALC Authors Learning Center in which you mentioned that a certain event took place on April 20th, 2010, that gave you the inspiration for this award-winning series. Care to elaborate on your inspiration? Uh, certainly. It was the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. That um, was a huge, huge spill that happened. Huge environmental disaster. It was top of the news, top of TV for di for days and weeks and weeks and weeks. Right. And uh, I was just watching it, and I'm very obsessed with the oceans and the deep water. Mm -hmm. 
And I started to think about, because oil kind of coats the surface, like what if you couldn't be on the surface, but you had to go deep to survive. Mm. And I started thinking on this idea of underwater colonies and then eventually broken into this bigger idea of something destroying the surface of the earth and then humans having to live in different colonies. And some are underwater, some are underground, and some are in space, including a Mars colony. That's awesome. So it kind of built into this huge world-building, multiple POV story um, that I ultimately ended up writing and selling as a trilogy. And they kind of call them the little books that could. I, they've really stood the test of time more than a lot of books that came out around the same time. Uh, they are in multiple formats. They're translated to other languages. We are an audiobook. They are on Spotify. Natalie Duke does a beautiful job reading the audiobook. And right now we're fully packaged and pitching the TV series. Ooh. So fingers crossed that we do find the right match and a fit and a home for it. Um, on the upside, it's a great team. Um, really high-level producers, great showrunner, great younger writer, really big team. Um, it's just finding who's in the market for this. And it is right. expensive, so yeah. it is a pretty big ask yeah. because it is a little bit like sci-fi Game of Thrones. Okay. And, you know, relative to a lot of television shows, this is a little bit more of a budgetary expense. Okay. Right, because you'd have to imagine uh, developing an underwater city as well as a space colony. It's a little bit easier to do something that's more underground because you can do yes. it just about anywhere. So the but... TV pitch has shifted it a little more in that direction, but it is still expensive. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you think yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, it, I just hope that we find the right place because I would love to, to see this expand and build into a cool series. Even though it's like at this point a little bit different than my books, it's still cool. And I kind of like the idea of working on something that's a little fresh for me because I wrote that story i'm like right. let's go yeah um, but this is something that happens with adaptations too where you do have to make changes and not be so precious about mm -hmm. exactly what it's going to look like because what's going to work for television might be a little bit different than what worked in print right yeah 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 uh, a lot of things come out differently uh whenever it's a series or a movie than it is and then we always talk about how the book is better than the always. movie yeah. you know there are a few exceptions here and there but yeah i was talking to my friend who's obsessed with jurassic park i do love jurassic park <laughs> okay but when i was a kid and that came out i hated the movie because i loved the book so much mm. and they changed a lot of things i didn't yeah. like the changes yeah and i totally made peace with it now i totally enjoy the film but i think i was extra annoyed because of lost world because basically yeah, everybody Michael says that because Michael That's Crichton. That's the one. That is the one, though. Well, it's a terrible film, but also yeah. Michael Crichton wrote a sequel to the movie, not to his own book. Right. Which was oh, yeah. super irritating. Yeah. Like, basically, the main character in Lost World is Malcolm, but Malcolm dies mm -hmm. in the book Jurassic Park. And he mm -hmm. just put this weird thing at the beginning of the book where it's like, newspapers reported that Malcolm died, but he really didn't. And I was like, no, I read your book, dude. <laughs> he died. He died pretty spectacularly yeah. in this book. So, And he was my favorite character. So to me, that just felt like, uh, you know, and I hate to say, I get, you know, probably he was paid a lot of money. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. He, he wanted to do it. But it, as a reader, it really irritated me. And yeah, me. I was probably like 12 and I was just like so mad. <laughs> <laughs> so but I've come around. But yeah, it is that thing where sometimes you'll get something like Lord of the Rings where I think they stand. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, even with Game of Thrones, which which for a long time was good. Like, look at where it kind of fell. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it was when they got out of the books. Mm -hmm. That's when people started to not like it. And I've noticed that whenever they get off the books, that's when things start to just downhill, you yeah, know? Yeah, because they, I think. I hate to say that downhill, but it's it, do. it's true, though. 
Well, yeah. yeah, and I think, and then when they started to go back, or you take, it's a lot of times even, not even that, it's like you take off the original creator, so I feel that way about the new Star Wars to a certain degree. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because George Lucas, the prequels still work on a story level, you yeah. know? Like, they're strong story. The the new ones, yeah, it's, this is suddenly when George isn't involved anymore. Like, Clone Wars works, mm-hmm. right? But that's still fine. George, like, and they're telling the story that he sort of broke and crafted. Um, you can even say that to a degree about Roddenberry and Star Trek, but, you know, mm-hmm. when you take off who is this big mastermind i mean like i said i'm curious to see where marvel goes now yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. stan lee is a titan yeah. yeah and i think we can agree a genius yes mm-hmm. i think we can all agree on that Definitely. so yes. you know it was just a sincere 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 man just his vision for humanity in, in general is was inspiring totally inspiring and i think i think marvel's gonna do a good job but we're gonna see you know what yeah. happens um as we move past his legacy and into you know obviously set so much in motion so i think that that's sort of the thing like a game of thrones it's like you know i think the showrunners got kind of arrogant they forgot they were standing <laughs> yeah. on the shoulders of a <laughs> yeah. genius which was george mm-hmm. um but he sounds like may never finish the series as well so i think that's kind of this sad situation all around mm-hmm. just yeah. i say that as a fan of the books i would mm-hmm. love to finish them mm-hmm. i'd love for him to finish them but you know i think that's the thing i always say like imagine like them trying to make harry the harry potter movies before she wrote that seventh book right yeah. but then also look at the new things she's not really writing books she's not a great screenwriter you know mm-hmm. they're yeah. not the same yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting thing to think about. I say, oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, Jennifer, this is, uh, I got to say, this has been truly engaging and fascinating, um, but we're not done yet. Oh, wow. I would like to switch gears and talk about your latest book series, Disney Chills. But before we do, it's time for another word from our sponsor for this episode. Imagine your home alone. The wind is howling outside, and in the distance you can hear storm clouds rolling in. The crackling of a fire and a glass of wine has set the mood for your night. All you need now is some entertainment. A podcast, perhaps? But not just any podcast. How about one that is hosted by a dynamic mother-daughter duo in which they talk about everything from hauntings, mystical monsters, witchcraft through the ages, and so much more. Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet is filled to the brim with magical lessons and pop culture references to keep you wanting more. So sip your wine and feel divine as you tune in on any one of these podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Anchor, and YouTube. Just search for Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. That's Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. Welcome back, Bats and Ghouls. And once again, we are here with the lovely Jennifer Brody, a.k.a. Vera Strange. So, Jennifer, let's talk about your new series, Disney Chills. Also, might I add, listener, if you're a fan of Disney, and I mean a fanatic like yours truly, then you're going to love these books. So, Jennifer, part of your nightmare, Fiends on the Other Side, and two other books coming out next year called Be Careful What You Wish For, and I believe it's Second Star to the Fright. Yeah, you're good with titles, props. (laughs) There's actually, there are actually three out next year. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I just delivered the fifth book to Disney. Oh. Villain to be announced. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm excited. It was a lot of fun to write. So, 
I got to ask, how did this come about? I mean, did Disney Publishing reach out to you or was it the other way around? Uh, yeah, originally there was an editor at Disney who did reach out to me who publishes some other authors I know and who I had met at different book launches and events. And when he was putting this together, he actually said that I was the first person he thought of and that he couldn't imagine someone else doing it. And I was like, oh, I don't wow. know if this is a compliment that, you know, because they're basically paying me to scare children. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Or is it a challenge? Yeah, a challenge. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about my life choices that led me to this point. Uh, and originally he reached out and asked me if I was interested and if I wanted to audition. I know they probably reached out to other writers. So I ended up writing about two, two and a half chapters. Um, and they asked me who I wanted to write, like who would fill in. And I was like, well, Ursula. <laughs> naturally, <laughs> yeah. naturally. Naturally. I mean, there's other villains I super love, but she's the greatest. She, I like villains with personality. She's so much fun. She's basically a sea witch. She wears makeup underwater. She's a diva. <laughs> she's everybody's mother-in-law. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's a trip, yo. So I was like, I want to do Ursula. So, and I love underwater stuff, as mentioned. And so they ended up hiring me uh, for the series, which was exciting. And then originally, I think I was hired to do three books. And then after I delivered Fiends on the other side, which is the one that just came out last week with Dr. Facilier. Oh, man. The Shadow Man. He's oh, amazing. boy. Uh, they went ahead and extended the series to five already. So I basically had five books out of the gate before, well before we had even published. So Disney has been really hot on the series wow. from the early stages in a way I've never personally, neither <laughs> my editor heard of that many books that far out of publication, but it is exciting. We've had a very rapid release schedule. Um, so yeah, the next book is out um, January and then spring, and then summer. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and books four and five go with movies that are coming next year. Okay. So book four goes with the new 101 Dalmatians. I did Cruella de Vil. Oh. And book five, mm -hmm. if you know anything about what Disney's doing, will go with that film. So you might be able to guess who I wrote. <laughs> oh, that is... Uh, now I'm guessing. I'm trying to think who, who would it be. Um... It might not be. Planning. It's a film that I love that dropped right next to a Disney classic that other people love more than I do. Really? A lot of people might say this. Other films are favorite, but I liked this one. I think it got overlooked a bit. And Alan Menken did do the music. And I do think it's some of the best music. Okay. Okay. Done Little Mermaid. But yeah, the casting on the remake looks great or whatever you want to call it, the live action version. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But, uh, and he was super fun to write. So. Oh, wait, there's a hint there. He is super fun to write. We tend to go back and forth between a, like a, a female villain to male. Oh, okay. Um, uh, so that wasn't really a hint then. Uh, yes and no. I okay. Mean, he is, he is, a lot of people love this villain. He is, he is very well liked. Oh, this oh, is man. starting to bug me now. Yeah, I know. Oh, uh, David, can we get the Jeopardy music going here? We need to think about this you for a second. Wow. So originally <laughs> that's how I got going with the series, and it was a real collaboration, like building the brand and building the series. Um, Disney's had me super involved, even on things like crafting the pen name, like coming up with the idea for doing that, which we thought it would be fun for the kids too, to be like, oh, who's this creepy person that wrote these extra <laughs> yeah. scary books? Yeah. Um, because the series really is a lot like Goosebumps meets Disney. It yes. Is. And Goosebumps yes. is a huge influence on me. As, okay. You know, I read a ton of Goosebumps growing up. Also, R, you know, R.L. Stein's amazing. Christopher. Mm. Oh, yeah. Pike was amazing. Um, there's just a lot of those, like, scary stories to tell in the dark was amazing. Yes. Yeah. 
And so this book series basically takes Disney villains and brings them into our contemporary world and has them haunt children. Oh, man. And every book is a different standalone story dealing with a Disney villain. I think it'd be fun at some point to do one with a bunch of the villains. Like, a, Oh, you like know what's funny? Story. I'm glad you said that. I don't know if they'll that. let me do that. But, but I'm glad you said that because last night um, I, had, I had a chance... I'm leaving the mic here. I had a chance to finally finish the first book. And I got to say, now, I, I know I had messaged you and I asked you some questions because I was actually a little uh, peeved about the ending. But at the same time, it had such a goosebumps feeling at the end, boys. I mean, it was just... Um, I, wow. I, I, I don't want to give too much away because this book itself uh, had me fully engaged uh, from chapter one all the way to chapter 19. It was just... Um, mind blowing. Um, and the characters in here, um, the, the, the life lesson that they got from this was very interesting. Um, and I gotta say it was interesting for me to be able to read, uh, this, that this was your first book. And then I read this and as I was reading it, I needed something to mark my pages to go make dinner for my boys. And I found a picture of myself and my son at the beach that I had not seen in almost, I'd say five years now. Mm. I have not seen this photo in about five years. And I put the book down. I'm looking for a bookmark. And all of a sudden I find this picture and I said, wow, what are the odds that this works perfectly for this book? Um, but it does make me want to teach my kids how to recycle better. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, um, don't yeah. litter in Ursula's ocean. Yeah. That, uh, but Bad I mean, idea. but even then, like you, you, uh, you, you name the, uh, uh, the city. I want to say it's a city or Triton the port. Bay. Triton Bay mm -hmm. is a very good name to have. And there's a lot of little hints in, in this book that are in relation to the Little Mermaid. Um, yeah, I work really hard to put a lot of fun Easter eggs in if you are a fan. I mean, you'd be fine if you hadn't seen the original film. I do it in all of the books. It's one of the fun things for me. I try to put a lot of that in so that if you do love or know the original, um, and that's really what I'm working off of, um, that you'll get that and you'll get, and I really try to channel the vibe of whatever the world is from the original film into the the book um yeah that was fun i think people have been really shocked by the endings especially now that fiends is out every ending in disney chills is dark and horrible <laughs> um everyone you know i swear every review calls out goosebumps and calls out the endings um everyone's like we expected happily ever after we're used to disney and this is unhappily yeah. ever after yeah i honestly was expecting it to end on a good note i mean i'm it is two o'clock in the morning i'm laying in my bed reading this book and I'm thinking to myself, this is a Disney film, you know, or Disney uh, book. So this is going to have a happily ever after. I was extremely wrong, <laughs> extremely wrong. Yeah. And I got to say, I was really happy about that, too. Yeah, it's this is kind of fun. Like my editor at some point was like, tell, so she was telling people about the books and the endings. And at some point she was like, God, these are all horrible. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and I really. It's great, right? <laughs> yeah, starting uh, on the third book, they're all like Disney give me little things on the first two. They're all my original stories and breaks. So when I pitch, I always pitch the ending. It's always like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> you know, and I feel kind of terrible. But I do craft them around the ending with the ending in mind. Um, and they get I think they get worse as they go on. I don't know. Fiends has a pretty pretty dark ending now i haven't had a chance to read it yet and i will be reading it once we are done with this episode i'm gonna run home and just you know hi boys i'm home and then just get my book open but i think i think you'll like fiends oh man this um <laughs> when uh when you announced uh the next book which was fiends on the other side um 
and I saw the title or the cover for it, I got super excited to the point where I had to play Are You Ready, which was the song from Princess and the Frog. Great. Oh, sorry. Yeah, The Princess and the Frog. Um, Great song. The actor who plays, uh, you know, the Shadow Man. Oh, he's amazing. Amazing. And didn't expect him to sing so well, too. I know. Wow. Um, But... Just looking at the cover of this book and uh, Bats and Ghouls, I'm actually holding the book in my hand right now. Fiends on the Other Side by Vera Strange. Um, you get a sense of something is about to happen and it does not look like it's going to end Don't on a good a deal note. With the Shadow Man. I mean, I think of the new crop of Disney villains. He's got to be my favorite and and a favorite yeah. of a lot. I mean, he mm. really is a phenomenally great character. Yes. And again, personality. Like, I like villains with personality. Yeah. And he's a lot of fun. Um, crafting, we did set this in New Orleans. I feel like we had to. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that's so, one of the things that's so iconic in the film and, you know, how much they captured the, the color and the vibrancy of that city. Um, I think it's so tethered to the original and had to be in this book, including settings like the Bayou. I was super excited to write a lot of set pieces set in the bayou yeah. um, because I thought those really stood out in the film, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that one was really fun. And it's so interesting because I write these books and they come out a while later. So I'm like, I'm like already through book five and this is the second. So it's fun going back and revisiting. Oh yeah, I did create that. I did write that. Oh, that did happen um, because the most recent one is always the freshest. Okay. Um, I'm super stoked. I love the Captain Hook book. Captain Hook is a lot of fun. Oh, he <laughs> is. Now I agree with you because you, you did an interview you, um, you were talking with, uh, I want to say it's Dark Delicacies, or it could be actually a, um, uh, you were doing a live uh, uh, one-on-one with someone from Midsummer Scream, mm-hmm. and I agree with you what you said. You said that Peter Pan is a dick. That's right. Yeah. And is. I agree with you. At <laughs> first, right. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, how is that? And then I realized... Well, hold on a second. He cut off Captain Hook's hand as a joke. Yes. And then fed it to the crocodile as a joke. Yes. As a prank. Who does that? Yeah. Captain Hook has every right to be annoyed. They're constantly, he's constantly pranking him. Even if one involves like, there's a bomb. That's right. There's a bomb. He's going to like blow him up. Yeah. And that crocodile is still constantly trying to eat him because he liked the hand so much. Yeah. Yeah. He had a taste for Hook. And so now he wants more. Yeah. Because I do have to go into that minds of the villain to a degree and more than any of the others I was like I don't even think he's really a villain I mean I know he's a pirate and pirates are kind of whatever but they're kind of funny pirates he is definitely um, he has a right to be mad at Peter yeah he has every right to be mad I think he is uh, people uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh Miss, uh, understood. Misunderstood. Thank you. I almost said something yes, else. You'd be pretty mad if someone did this to you. He's yeah. a very misunderstood captain. That's, That's for what sure. I think. And what I always say is that it is not a compliment to call someone a Peter Pan. Right. Yeah. It's I've actually heard this. not a compliment. Like if you call someone a Peter Pan, you're basically saying that they, they're immature. They didn't grow up. And the right. whole theme of the story is actually not a good thing to yeah. not grow up. That's right. the whole idea behind Peter Pan. That's why Wendy <laughs> yeah. has to leave, right? You don't want to be a lost boy. I actually have, um, in our shadow people series i was talking to g-man and i wanted to i was like i really want to bring in the idea of peter pan's shadow and he's like i don't want to touch oh, anything disney. the shadow is so yeah. good he's like that's oh. true he's like i don't want to touch anything disney i was like i kind of want to lean into but it, that's though. true i didn't want to touch anything disney because i'm a huge disney fan i don't yeah. like to you know i don't want to butcher anything that disney has done and yet 
they kind of did it themselves. Yeah. Well, the original story wasn't Disney, right? Right. So it's it's like yeah, it, it, it's, it's it, yeah, it's Jam Barry. Yeah. And the main character in my book is named Barry. Is a hot tip. I do like to try to oh, okay. hot tip the character like Shelley Anderson. You know, Hans Christian Anderson. Right. Uh, okay. I thought so. Awesome. I yeah. thought so. We, okay. I try to do that if it's possible or works for the story. A lot of these Disney um, films were based on original source material. That was what was so unique about The Lion King. It was actually mm-hmm. original. Almost everything else Disney does has some underlying source material or mythology. Okay. That they take. Um, and so, yeah, that was fun. And then I did Cruella for book four. I got to say, she was the hardest to write. I imagine and she the is. Least yeah. fun for me personally. Why? Because she's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Like, she's awful. I was like, people are upset about John Wick. I was like, yo, that guy killed, like, one puppy. This lady's trying to kill 101 to make a coat. She wants a coat. Yeah. Just so she yeah. can look fashionable. Um, although, no, Disney wants me to let you know that no puppies were harmed in the making of the book. Well, that's good. No puppies were harmed. That's good. We need, to, we need an exact reference, so. Yeah. No puppies were harmed. Can we get that written on paper, please? Yeah, disclaimer, we did not hurt puppies. But. Older no. dogs. I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah. I, I agree with you, though. She is definitely a horrible woman. Um, and, you know, and it, there's a scene where you're watching her, and I believe Glenn Close actually played her in oh, the live action. Glenn Close's rendition is amazing. I Beautiful. think Emma Stone in the new one will be great, but those are big shoes because I agree yeah. with you. I thought that was yeah. really fantastic. Oh yeah, and yeah. watching her, uh, watching her draw out the the fashion, like she gets that piece of paper with what's on there, and then she's like fixes it herself, mm-hmm. and you see like the spots of the puppies and you're thinking to yourself, who does that? Like, yeah. you run out of so many ideas that now you have to use puppies? Like, that's yeah. that's just wrong. Yeah, the book we crafted really does, uh, or the story that I crafted really does have to do more with, like, the fashion element and the fashion okay. brand. And exactly what you're talking about, the coat. It had to be about the coat. Yeah. The coat is yeah. an iconic signature of Cruella de Vil. Absolutely. The spotted yeah. coat, the yeah. fur coat. And so I felt like it had to be at the core. You know, in the hook book, we use the hook is the big thing we use. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's Captain Hook, right? Yeah. yeah. Captain Hook was a surprise. I, he wasn't really actually on any of the lists of the villains that I was looking at or that they were looking at coming into book three. Right. I heard you got an entire list of villains that you got to work, uh, I guess, yeah. choose from. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, uh, yeah, and obviously I get to contribute and came in and there were a couple of us kicking around and then I asked them, I said, hey, Disney, you guys have good marketing. You must know your audience. These, this is middle grade, right? These are eight to 12 year olds that we're targeting. What villains are they into? Like, who do, who do they love? Who mm. would they want to see mm. now that they're this age? And it came back, um, Captain Hook, because apparently there was a show on Disney Junior called Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Oh, yep. It oh, was yes. a hugely popular show for this oh, age. Oh, my right? kids love that show. Do they? Oh, okay. yeah. So, yeah, I've heard that from so many parents. Like, so many parents, like, I've seen every episode of Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Guilty. Yeah. Could, Guilty. Or it could be my granddaughter's obsessed with it, my kid's mm-hmm. obsessed with it, mm-hmm. my nephew, whatever. Um, so they love Captain Hook because the, because of that show. Like, they grew okay. up, and mm-hmm. he's a really big villain for them. So when they came back with Captain Hook, I was like, I'm so down to do a pirate book. Let's go. <laughs> you know, uh, Disney did do that movie. Um, uh, they were doing this whole, like, series or, or movies of um, Tinkerbell and her friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, there was one about the pirate fairy, and we got to learn 
about uh, James T. Hook and and kind of where he started before he became Captain oh Hook. Oh my God, I need to watch. That. It's really yeah. smart. It is. It's I one of those like stuff. if you don't pay close attention, and then he mentions his name, you go, Oh my! Mm-hmm. And it's one of those like I think mm-hmm. middle or at the end or something. Yeah. but very smart. It's very just in passing. And yeah, you can miss it if you weren't aware of. Who yeah, was. yeah. Um, and again, that's where I see how Captain Hook is is very uh, misunderstood. You know. <laughs> He absolutely is, you know, I think more than some of the other villains. I mean, to a degree, like Ursula, like we get her, right? We mm-hmm. get what's going yeah. on with Ursula. Like, you know, she's like scary, but I don't feel that you think that she's acting for reasons that don't make sense. Right. She had a contract. The, yeah. We were specific she, to the contract. She is the you queen agreed. of the deal. Well, that, and that's basically the book. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's the same with the shadow man. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, you make a deal. I mean, they always say don't make a deal with the shadow man. Right. But, you know, in horror, there's always that transgression or that <laughs> element where you do the thing you know you're not supposed to do. Right, yep. You know, so yep. Dr. Facilier was a lot of fun. Writing his voice was so fun. Oh, nice. You know, because like you said, the actor does such a phenomenal job yes. with Oh, him. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even then, when I when I saw who the actor that played uh, the Shadow Man, I, I, I stood back and just got stunned. I mean, I've seen him in so many other films. Um, the last one that I saw of his was... Delta farce. Yeah, I'd love to cast him in something. He's really talented. Yeah, he is. And I think the imagery, there's a lot of people I know who that film came up and it was maybe the first Disney film they saw and it scared the heck out of them. Yeah. The shadows, the shadow oh, imagery. Oh, that was friends, scary. The, they're voodoo dolls, basically. Yeah. The friends from the other side. Because, dude, creepy dolls. By the way, I did write creepy dolls into the book. I was like, nice. oh, we're doing creepy nice. dolls. Nice. Okay, perfect. Well, you got to do the creepy dolls. So, um, now we had talked about uh, Ursula and how you how you loved writing her into, into your story um, and Corella. Um, do you have a specific favorite Disney villain that I have not done? I love Ursula. Like, I mean, that's the thing is I've kind of got to do my favorite. The thing is, I do hope we do more books in this series because there are villains I love that I have not gotten to write yet. Okay. That I totally want to tackle. You know, um, I do think Disney has the best villains in the business. They have the best IP. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can't think of another, you know, I love Marvel. I don't think Marvel has great villains. Bless you, Marvel. But, I mean, <laughs> Thanos was the first time for me that they actually had a frightening villain. Because, mm-hmm. like, Loki, I'm like, that bro ain't scary. <laughs> yeah. Is anyone yeah. scared of Loki? Is yeah. he going to sleep, like, scared of Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> he's not, like, threatening. He's not. Yeah. I mean, he's intriguing. I mean, he'll threaten you, but it's funny. Yeah, you know? that's what I was going to say. He's I think a jokester. Yeah. Really, so. He's a trickster. Yeah. He's a trickster. I think yeah. Thor Ragnarok was the first time they actually got Loki right. Yeah. In terms of the writing personally um i think that's who he is um but he's not scary you know who's scary is the sister <laughs> like oh, hello sure. oh, yeah, don't, yeah, don't mess right. with the goddess of death yeah uh, she was the one where i was like yeah I, I don't think i'd mess with her uh so i you know i think disney villains they are the greatest in the business and i think we could make a huge list you know yeah i'm curious do you guys have a favorite what's your favorite oof Strange one. Do you have a favorite uh, Disney villain? I honestly would have said Hook, to be honest. Okay. That's um, great. I, I love Hook. Uh, I, I I like, as I mentioned before, to dissect uh, things, and especially thing, especially characters uh, that have, I've grown up with, try to understand where they've come from and how they've come to be. And so I've mentioned that I, I like to dissect the story of Peter Pan and mm-hmm. the idea that it's children going to their death and such. Yeah. And and, uh, and Hook is like a representation of, uh, of adulthood. Yes. And, and responsibility, and you're always fighting 
fighting that, you know? Interesting. So. Okay. That's absolutely correct. And I think it's a really interesting analysis. And I mean, what I'd say is that when we meet Barry, I mean, it's like, what is this about thematically? I mean, mm-hmm. he's a kid. We meet a kid who doesn't want to grow up. Yeah. And doesn't want to have adult responsibilities. And he has an older sister who is getting a lot piled on her now that she's 16 and SATs in school and mm-hmm. chores and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, I and, and parents who are stressed yeah. and yeah. Of adult things. And he's looking at this world, Barry is, and being like, I don't want that. I don't want to stay a kid. Yeah. I got it way better than my sister. Like, this is cool. So obviously we learn why that's not a great thing of to course, want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's iconic to um, Peter Pan. Hmm. What about you? Do you have a favorite one? Oh, oh. Where uh, do I start? Where do I start? That's what I'm saying. Actually, uh, it's going to seem a little unique, but I have to say, um, he is still my favorite villain. His name is Hopper. He's from A Bug's Life. Mm. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, what I like about him is just that he doesn't want to be embarrassed. Like, he, he's a take-charge person. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't like being embarrassed. He can handle a lot of situations, um, you know, especially with, like, the ants and how they're putting all the food together for them, for the grasshoppers. And, you know, then they show up, and all of a sudden the food's gone now, and they're freaking out. Like, what are we supposed to do? They're doing this for us. You know, and especially, like, his brother tries to really reason with him, and he's just like, think about mom, and he's just like, mm. like, he's a family man. You can tell he's a family man. Um yeah, I think that, you know, there always has to be something behind them. Um, I really love Jafar, who I have not done yet, from Aladdin. Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's Jafar a good Jafar is a lot of fun. Aladdin I love. I really, obviously Maleficent is well trodden, but also fantastic. Sleeping Beauty was my favorite. Okay. Uh, I mean, she's just great, and, mm-hmm. you know, but there are so many others, and I think there are some other newer ones that would be super fun, too. I would love to see... If you could incorporate uh, Tangled, the yeah. mother from Tangled. Well, I think she'd be great. She's yeah. definitely at the top of my list. Yeah, mother she was. Gokul. Yeah, she's oh, definitely yeah. top of my list. Yeah, there, there's just, we could make a list, but yeah, she would be fun. She's, yeah. She's scary. Yes. She's very scary, yes. actually. Um, I love, I love well, her, her. And there's Evil Queen. I mean, oh, I yeah. love to yeah, Evil, Evil Queen. Queen. Yeah, Evil Queen. Yeah. Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Oh, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. That would be a really interesting story to read. Like a, a child going through, you know, the mirror or something, Arnie you know? Did her, almost did her for book three. Oh, okay. But ended up going hook instead, which I'm fine with. But like I said, I mean, I would just like to do more books in the series, especially now that I feel like we've really crafted the tone and set into yeah. And the reception on them has been really great. I mean, the first book is sitting very happily at five stars on Amazon. And I think fans are really loving it. Kids are loving it. But a lot of adult readers, there's so many, as you know, um, mm-hmm. adult fans of Disney. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I of think course. the books are working for adults, too, which is really awesome. And I think a huge compliment uh, to the series because... Hey. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say your 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 demographic was eight to twelve years old, mm-hmm. but you're taking characters that have uh, been around for for decades. Yep. So you're gonna be hitting a, a much wider uh, marketplace, you know, yes. for, for adults who grew up with these characters. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And then they can get their own kids involved too. Like you know, hey, this I grew up with this. Let's read it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I was gonna say, and I think that's a fun thing also for parents to share stories and share books with their kids. And we think this series really works well uh, for reluctant readers, um, mm-hmm. which are you know, a hard demographic to reach. They tend to be boys, right? In this right. age range. Yeah. Tend to be the most reluctant readers. Yeah. I'm having that right now. I'm having that. My, my oldest is definitely reluctant when it comes to reading. Um, but I will say this, when I pulled this book out and instantly he just comes up and says, dad, that's Ursula. Mm. And I was like, yeah, pal, how did you, 
have we watched this movie together? And then he looks at, he's just like, you know, but she looks scary. And I said, well, this is a scary book. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, buddy, if you want to read it, we can totally read it together. Yeah. That might be like a great move. I have a lot of parents that are writing me letters basically saying that school or whatever had really made their kids lose their love for reading. And this is a tough time for kids right now with, with the pandemic and that these books have gotten them back into reading that in my continuum book. If they're a little bit older, more of like a teenager. Okay. You know, it made them rediscover their love for reading. Yeah. You know, and kids being excited for fiends, like counting down the days, like that stuff for me is part of why I love to write. Because I think if you can get someone reading, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be a gateway yeah. to get into other um, books and other series. Absolutely. You know, for me, I was very into Nancy Drew and then I moved mm-hmm. to Goosebumps. Right. That's where I started. Yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm. So many Hardy Boys for me, Nancy Drew yeah. and then Goosebumps. Yeah. And then you go darker. And then usually from there, I went to Anne Rice and Stephen King. Okay. You know, I think Stephen King is the greatest young adult slash tween writer who isn't actually technically that. Right. But there's a reason why I think you find his books when you're a tween slash teenager because he writes so many lead teen characters. Right. Carrie is really yeah. technically a young adult book, if you right. ask me. Mm-hmm. It's about yeah. a coming of age story about a girl in high school. You know, and he yeah. writes so much of that. You know, Stranger Things really is Stephen King. Oh, yeah. yeah. More Definitely. than anything else. Definitely. He writes great tween voice, great kid's voice. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're hoping that the series, you know, finds continues to find a great audience. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, as you are aware, we are a paranormal podcast, yes. which means it's time. And I haven't said it in a while, but now is a better time than never. Let's talk paranormal. Fun. I'm into it. So you have a graphic novel called Spectre Deep Six. That no, is correct. Is that right? Yeah, you okay. got it. Uh, which is about ghost soldiers, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you also have... I'm sorry, you also have had your own paranormal encounter um, growing up as a child in Virginia. Yeah, more or less. I mean, I absolutely believe in this stuff. Okay. It's so real. So my question is, are the two related? They're not related in that sense. I mean, Spectre Deep Six is just this crazy idea I had. What if our most elite soldiers who die in the line of duty are reanimated by military scientists and brought back as ghosts, actual specters, to continue to carry out missions, kind of like superheroes for the government, in exchange for day passes to haunt their old lives and fix their unfinished business. That's crazy. So it's a awesome. team of like six, you know, diverse agents. They all died in different ways. Like one of them killed themselves. So he's really not happy to be back. He was like, I thought <laughs> that, when I killed oh, myself, wow. I expected to stay dead. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And they're sort of these indentured servants to the government. So, you know, they're pretty surly a lot of the time. They always get along. Um, and so they all, though, left behind things like secrets and things in their lives that are they need to rectify. So there are whole chapter, two sections called uh, Everybody Haunts 1 and 2, where they go back to their old lives. And it's all different what they're dealing with. And they try to fix or change or just come to terms with what's been going on since they died. So that whole uh, uh, ghost unfinished business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of iconic. We sort of just took mythology that we think already existed around ghosts and kind of built on to that. Oh, beautiful. So it's a pretty neat story. My artist, Jules Rivera, is really phenomenal. Um, She's had a big story. New York Times about her because she took over the Mark Trail syndicated comic. So she's oh. only the second Latina in history to get a syndicated comic. Oh, okay. Massive talent. And we have another graphic novel dropping in February called 200. They're both sci fi. Sweet. But yeah, Spectre Deep Six is paranormal. Um, I don't know. I, I did grow up in what I consider to be a haunted house in Virginia, and it was right. definitely really freaky. And I already have an overactive imagination. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, you, uh, you and I had talked about that, that you grew up in a haunted house. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. 
Uh, Jennifer, I'm going to give you the mic and uh, you go ahead and just share with us what that was like. Uh, but first, David, can I get some mood music, please? <laughs> Yeah, so when I was five years old, I grew up in rural Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains. My parents bought this derelict old farmhouse, the old Rennick Farm, which already kind of sounds like a horror movie. That does sound like an opening of a horror the movie. The old Rennick yeah. Farm, it's like overgrown, it's falling apart. It had <laughs> it started out as a log cabin um, back in the old days and had been built upon, so it had these weird ways that it had been expanded, not always artfully, and like this really creepy attic that I'm sure was haunted. It had like wood paneling and like this black and red swirl carpet oh gosh and my room had a door that had glass panes in it like a door to the outside that had just been painted over even though it was on the second floor so I was certain that this was not a good situation it led to that creepy attic so I actually had my parents put a deadbolt on it because I was so scared of this door wow that went that went from my room into this weird section of the house that had no reason to be there really um, and then I mean the thing that was the scariest is when I was a kid I was in the cellar which was this unfinished basement and I found a tombstone for a 10 month old baby in the cellar. Wow. I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. Hang on a second. Yeah. You were in a cellar. Yeah. And you found a tombstone for a child? Yeah, for a baby. And what? it was one of those unfinished, like, total horror movie basements. No, for real. And so back in the day, if you died in winter, you couldn't break ground outside. Oh. You would bury the dead in the cellar. Oh, my gosh. So. What the heck? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, this house to me was so haunted. Like, there was so much going on. And there ended up, this is going to take a darker turn, but there ended up being a lot of murder around it oh, that happened boy. in my lifetime, including in the barn, my next door neighbor, like one of their kids, his best friend killed him, like crazy stuff what went down heck? all around this. Yeah. So there was definitely an aura to the house that to me felt very intense and, and wild and exciting, but also dangerous. Right. If yeah. that makes sense. Did you ever, uh, did you ever feel threatened or anything when you were there? Yes. I mean, I would say I would feel like things were watching me while I slept from the foot of the bed. Oh boy. Um, which is part of why I had the deadbolt put on the door in my room. Cause I felt like that's where it was coming from was that section of the house. Wow. Um, and, and the cellar, I wouldn't really go down there. It's very much like the beginning of it where he run, goes <laughs> right, down and yeah. then runs out of the cellar. Yeah. That's what my cellar, that's what it looked like. Like oh, creaky geez. stairs and everything, spiders, spider webs. And I would not like to go down there. I wouldn't go down there much, especially after we found the tombstone that was like that set him out yeah i mean can you imagine rummaging around and then discovering that i mean now again i'm i'm one that's really loves the paranormal involved with the paranormal so, so for you just me been excited yeah uh, <laughs> and and strange one and renee can can vouch for me on this um when it comes to anything uh you know out of the ordinary um like just recently actually i just i had uh a hole in my wall uh my kids were playing around and they felt they like bumped into the wall real hard and the, it created this massive hole and uh, it just so happened that there was a female shirt tucked away oh, no. inside the wall oh no and so my thought process is that you know something happened why would you put a shirt like that inside a wall that's some captain amontillado stuff exactly yeah. that's what i was thinking and i gotta say though i was very intrigued let's go back to you jennifer because finding that in in your cellar i mean good grief uh growing up you know in a haunted house like that um 
I got to ask, did, did anything, uh, anything ever move in your home? Was there ever like, you know, one minute you're, you know, in the kitchen, you come back out next thing you know, all the cabinets are wide open. I never experienced anything like that in the house specifically. It was just more this feeling of anything with the deep, long history of the house that there okay. were elements to it. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a reason I asked for that bolt on the door. Right. Yeah. And never before since have I ever felt the need. I mean, I, don't break into my house, but often I, I don't lock my door because I'm not like uptight about it. It just right. felt like there was something going on there. Um, and it's, it's just a very strange house. Wow. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I really do believe in this stuff. Um, my parents did play, I don't know if it's a good trick or a bad trick on me. This isn't actually a true paranormal story, but I used to watch a lot of TV as a kid because I was kind of like addicted. Hey, I'm like, well, welcome to my career. You though. and me both, yeah. So they would get really mad and like yell at me. So finally they told me to Read watch. Read a book. Sorry. Well, no, they, they rented Poltergeist for me. Ooh. And then uh. they told me, um, if you keep watching this much TV, what happens to the girl in this movie is what's going to happen to you. Oh, no. And then they showed me Poltergeist, right? Where it gets possessed TV and she gets sucked in right. and it scared the heck out of me of mm-hmm. course mm-hmm. but it didn't stop me from watching TV I would just search around and look to see if there were if any the signs of haunting <laughs> look if there were any weird cracks in the ceiling or the TV yeah. I would just scope it out to make yeah. sure that it hadn't gotten possessed before I turned it on thanks parents <laughs> so I still watch TV thanks, I just Mom. was thanks, like Dad. let me make sure this one isn't possessed more, <laughs> before I turn it on there's more st- steps to watching TV at this <laughs> yeah, point yeah that's what it was like thanks for just giving me OCD about turning the TV on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite work out. But, I mean, it worked out in the sense that I do do this stuff for a living now. That's funny. That is funny. Yeah, I mean, I do think I've seen or felt spirits. I do think I can channel. I do think I channel for my work and ideas and stories. Absolutely. Um, and people. Like, I really feel that there is a psychic component to what I'm able to do with mm. my creative work. Um, definitely. And I do very much believe in a lot of those things. Awesome. Yeah, that very, very into it. Oh, I think that there are layers to our perception of what we see and know and what we don't. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I do think I can feel my best friend growing up was actually murdered. Gosh, a lot of murder in my life. Um, and I can feel that it wasn't a good death. And I can feel that she's not in a good place to a yeah, certain degree. There's un- some people who pass. Or, yeah, there's certain people who pass, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it feels okay or it feels like they've moved on or it was time. And there are some that do. And I don't know that it is always in a good way or right. that they have moved to a good place. Those yet. are the yes. ones. Yeah, those are the ones that have the unfinished business the and you know, they have more to say because it, you know, I think whatever happened to them has not been dealt with. Yeah, or it was know? in such a violent or a bad way that it just left this mark. Yeah. You know, and those yeah. are things that I feel. Uh, my mom did say she had this uh, ficus tree uh, that was so healthy and huge. My mom has a real green thumb and um, I went to visit and it was gone. I was like, what happened? She's like, well, the day that she was killed, like it just turned brown and all the leaves fell off and it died. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. But on the flip side, she had this orchid that would never die. I was like, what's up with that, Mom? And she's like, well, it's next to this huge crystal, and they're just very happy together, so they just, <laughs> it just doesn't die. And I was like, well, then. <laughs> I can't really argue with that. Right. I was like, it yeah. really doesn't die. And yeah. I have orchids, and they do, so I don't know what to say about that situation. It's a stubborn orchid. <laughs> yeah, my mom's a little bit of a witch. <laughs> okay. okay. That's probably where I get it from. I used to think she was really crazy when I was a kid, and now I'm just like, wow, I think Mom was right about all this weird stuff. That don't we? Are we like that with all our parents? Though. Yeah. We think they're crazy, and then we grow up going, wow, you were not crazy. Like, yeah. you're smart. You guys are on to something yeah. here. So, yeah, I definitely have come to a better understanding. Uh, yeah, she was definitely a, an anomaly in the 80s in rural Virginia. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, like, where it's pretty Christian and conservative. And she'd be like, I worship trees. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, Shh, okay, lady. <laughs> no, she's an artist. She's a photographer. 
She's super talented. Do your do your folks still live in the same house? No, they end up selling it to my grandmother and moving oh. out to Floyd, which was not necessarily good. Things did not happen post okay. that. I would say, which is what I think is sort of the legacy of the house. Like I, I was like, don't sell it to them. Don't do it. Oh. It was like this crazy thing. Um, but no, they live in Floyd County, Virginia, and they have this really great place that is so much naturally occurring quartz. If you know anything about quartz, it's very cleansing. Yes, it cleanses other stones, and there's just these huge formations anywhere you go. There's just quartz all over the property and my mom calls oh, okay. it crystal mountain farm and it, one of the reasons she wanted the property was the quartz nice and quartz is very protective and very right. healing and really great energy a to lot have of, around. yeah a lot of uh, energy properties from quartz yeah mm. you know yeah. Anything, you can, and you can use it to cleanse other stones mm-hmm. other things um so it's kind of a neat this property is a very neat one and i don't feel anything there even though we totally have a full-on pet cemetery oh well, my <laughs> goodness we've always had a lot of animals wow. full on <laughs> they're horses, in a good dogs, place cats. that's why yeah, they, yeah you know nothing bad with the pet cemetery <laughs> even though that book scared the heck out of me as a kid oh my that was a good book one um, of my faves and I love the 80s movie Not the new one's not great the 80s movie is so yeah, fun we, the original yeah, yeah we, were we were talking about, about that, that too. yeah, yeah. yeah. these discussions they so. totally screwed it up well they, the aging up of the kid I think was a mistake mm-hmm. yeah. I think sometimes they fundamentally misunderstand some of these stories what was terrifying was the age of that child yeah the little blonde boy Ooh. oh boy when you age it up it kind of took something away yeah mm-hmm. there's, there's more of an innocence that you have with a yes. younger child and to be older you remove that from it I agree. Yeah. it totally tanked it for yeah. me uh yeah in the same way that i think they really screwed up the new it movies because they're just not scary i haven't you know, seen them to be honest i <laughs> gotta say i finally watched the second one and i laughed the whole way through did you were you scared at all i was not it was more funny and you know i gotta say there was yeah, bill Hader's funny but yes, okay yes and and he's a great comedic actor but having him in this film just made it more funny yeah. as opposed to scary they totally uh, I feel bad because I worked at the studio and a lot of people I know worked on the films I think you know what happened with and it is my favorite Stephen King book I think it is one of the scariest things that anybody has ever written it's by far his scariest yes. book so for me I was like how did you take Pennywise who is the stuff of absolute nightmares yes. and make two films that are both largely not frightening mm-hmm. yeah. That's, yeah. that's a thing yeah, that's and they're true. not badly made exactly but I, I had gone back before the first one came out to rewatch the original 80s miniseries, which I love, which mm-hmm. scarred me as a child. Oh, okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, me too. Oh my God, Tim Curry forever and always. You see, and I have a problem with that because I didn't get to watch it as a child. I watched it when I was older. So seeing mm-hmm. Tim Curry That's now <laughs> didn't really do it for me. Um, I got it. like, And I always think about, you know, the time that that film came out and what people saw and how scary it was, just like how when The Exorcist came out yes. and people were running out of the theater because they just couldn't handle it. People had heart attacks during the exercise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had... a story I saw recently. Like, literally, people, like, were almost dying. They had ambulance mm-hmm. showing up left and right, getting people out of there on gurneys. People were vomiting. People yeah. were vomiting in the theater. Well, and they want to remake this film. You have to remember, that was on network television. That wasn't, like, mm-hmm. some kind of, like, cable, even HBO Tales. Oh, this was, like, see, NBC. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I remember watching that. Um, I remember as a kid, when I first Ooh. watched it, I, the thing was, I, my parents never used to, like, let me watch scary movies but when I was with my uncle yeah he was <laughs> oh I totally had that friend <laughs> slash uncle the yep. one who took me to see Alien in the theater when I was way too young to see that for yeah. me it was the babysitter the babysitter oh. took me to go see a scary movie oh, in the theater a great babysitter <laughs> yeah he would bring his friends over and then I would co- I, I'd wake up and I'd hear them coming in I'm like oh it's time so <laughs> I'd get up and, and we'd, we'd sit there watching Tales of the Crypt Keeper I love Tales from the Crypt oh yeah Tales from the Crypt we'd watch uh, 
uh, saw it. I finally got to watch it. And I think it was maybe seven or eight. Did it affect you? I was confused part of it because <laughs> I, I didn't because I didn't get the transition from when they were kids to adults uh, at first. Yeah. So I thought it was two different movies at first. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, That's I, what I thought when I first saw it, that there were two different films happening. Yeah. So I and then I got. Uh, what really freaked me out is I never wanted to go to a Chinese restaurant. Oh, that's one of my favorite scenes. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that scene is yeah, amazing. Loving it as, as an adult now, I, I, I love that scene, but it's mostly because it's it's the one that really freaked me out. It's mm. one of my favorite scenes. I have a couple of favorites. So the original, I mean, I think, and they use practical effects. So like mm -hmm. even with Tim Curry, they right. use contortionists for a lot of it. Right. Yeah. And your brain just actually registers practical effects, even when they seem cheesy differently than CGI, it's mm -hmm. far scarier. Yes. Oh, That's yeah. why a lot of these 80s films, even when they seem kind of campy, I'm obsessed with Hellraiser, but like they're actually way scarier for you because of the practical effects versus mm -hmm. CGI, your brain just knows it's not yeah. real. So I think the Chinese scene in the original is so much scarier because mm -hmm. it's all puppetry and like, you know, effects. You know, I think of Poltergeist, uh, yeah. uh, when, when the father's in the mirror and he's looking at himself and the skin starts coming mm -hmm. off. Yeah. The prosthetic and Everything classic they used was brilliant. Classic Steven yeah. Spielberg. Oh, classic. You know, it's the same as like the end of the first Indiana Jones. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Crazy practical makeup stuff. Uh, 100% with you on that. And the new one wasn't great. Yeah. So with it, I think what it is, is aside from that, what they did is they fundamentally misunderstood the structure of the story. And it really mm. is that to the adults and kids story. And so they unraveled them and they lost all the tension. Yeah. So the thing with the original book is that all of the tension, the A storyline, is the adult storyline. Oh, okay. And the story of it is really this. There's the prologue with the brain slicker and the thing, but the story is really this. It's all these adults who grew up together. None of them have any memory of their childhood. They have total amnesia. They're right. all super successful, but no memory of their childhood. Well, that's weird. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then the one guy who stayed back, who became a detective, starts calling them. The murders have started again. Everything you made a pact. Yeah. You have to come back. And he remembers, and they don't. Yeah. So one of them, instead of going back, kills himself and scrawls it in blood on the wall. Mm -hmm. And when you're reading the book, you're like, what is so scary that you would do that? What is it? So it's really this mystery around it. And as they start to recover their memories and they go back, then the kid's story starts to fill in. Oh, but you're not ahead of I them. Okay. In the movies, you're ahead of them because yeah. you've seen this you've movie, seen this it. stuff happened, you know it was real. So then when you meet them as adults, it's just kind of silly because they can't remember. But you're like, yo, I already saw this. I know yeah. what happened to you. Yeah. All the mystery intention deflates out of the story therefore the second one didn't work at all and they're more vulnerable as adults because they've lost their imaginations and that's mm. how you fight it because it is a coming of age story that's yeah. true it is and that's why everyone talks about the orgy scene is like this is so offensive they can never oh do it. yeah but and the there's orgy a huge scene, talk about that oh yeah but I actually think it works in the book and I think it is super transgressive I'm not gonna lie this is a very transgressive book I mean it is for adults um, but it's a coming of age story and that is them growing up yeah and you know it for, was a pivotal moment in their life that needed to happen. It's um, an, it's, it is allegorical. And like I said, yeah, I know it's dark. Yeah, I know it's creepy. Yeah, I know people are offended by it. But I think in terms of what Stephen King was actually crafting into that book, I think that it does actually work with the story he was telling. And I do think it is his most transgressive uh, work. Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. But, you know, I'm a huge Clyde Barker fan, and he really messes with that edge of, like, sex and violence and eroticism yeah. that I think is a powerful place for horror. So, I don't know. Nothing scares me like Clive. Clyde Barker scares me more than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a hard time trying to be, uh, not trying to be, but hard time getting scared, too, with when it comes to watching Same. movies. Uh, you know, I, I always anticipate. I know what's up, what something's going to come. Yeah. Uh, so I try my best to to not expect anything because I, I want to try. To, I want to be scared. I know. 
but I it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, and I could list like Hellraiser scared the crap out of me. I still love it. But yeah, there's like, you know, always the hope. Hopefully my Disney books are scary though. Oh Don't no, they me. are. Yeah, oh no, I, I can attest. Uh they are. And uh I cannot wait to start the second one, Fiends on the Other Side. Uh, listeners, bats and ghouls, I'm telling you, if you haven't gotten gone out to the nearest bookstore or placed your Amazon order, because I know people are wearing face masks and don't want to go out right now, get on Amazon, get up there, and start reading the stories. I mean, re- read part of your nightmare and then move on to Fiends on the Other Side, because, wow, oh, my goodness, great story. Uh I definitely got goosebumps at the end of this book, and I'm pretty sure Bats and Ghouls, you will too. Well, it seems we are out of time. I don't want to end this uh, this awesome, amazing ep- Halloween episode that we have, but we have to. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us here on Into the Void. It has truly been an honor. Uh, do you have any final comments uh, for our listeners? Just thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. So fun to talk to you. Thanks for humoring me and all the nerd talk <laughs> and all the film talk. And yeah, no, thanks for having me on. What a rad podcast. You guys are great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is uh, uh, this is our, our last episode for the season. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, thank you yeah. so much. Uh, we have made it to 15 again. Hey. hey. <laughs> That's yeah. an achievement in 2020. <laughs> well, listener, if you enjoyed what you heard here, then be sure to tune in, in our, to our previous episodes, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. A uh, very special thank you to uh, Jennifer for coming in. Uh Strange One, thank you so much for this entire season. Uh, you have been fantastic. Thank you. Renee, uh, I don't even know what to say, man. You, you've been with us since, since day one. Yeah. And I got to say, this has been fantastic. Once again, a phenomenal season yes. uh, of Into the Void. So thank yes. you, gentlemen, honestly. And yeah. also, thank you to the team. I really want to say thank you to the team. Uh, we've got Nicole. She works on our YouTube channel. We've got David, our editor, who you hear uh, in our in our unedited versions. You'll hear us say his name quite a few times. Uh, so thank you. We've had a lot of special guests this season. Um, I, I wish I could name them all, but I don't have the list with me. But uh, Rick West for coming in. Kevin Valentine from Creep It Real. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashley from Ashley's Adventures. Mm-hmm. We've had phenomenal guests this season. And I, I words cannot express how grateful I am for all this so again thank you to everyone um also if you give us a follow on our social media pages facebook at pod paranormal 87 instagram at void podcast 18 twitter at nightwing silver and visit our website into the void that's into the void to check out all our latest in-studio pictures and more and lastly a big thank you to our sponsor and all of our sponsors for these episodes. It has truly been a blast working with every one of them, and I hope to continue working with them more. Well, hey there, listener. G-Man here. As you know, I am always eager and excited to bring you our latest episode. But ever wonder what I'm doing when I'm not working on the show or taking care of my kids? Well, let me tell you, I'm catching up on Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. What is Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet? Well, it's a podcast hosted by a dynamic duo, Lori and Lee. Join this mother-daughter dance as they explore everything from hauntings, mystical monsters, and witchcraft through the ages, to mediums and urban legends. It's a fun and informative ride filled to the brim with magical lessons, pop culture references, and much more. 
available to listen everywhere you listen to your podcasts. Just search Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. That's Uncle Bob's Magic Cabinet. All right. Well, that's going to do it for me. I hate to say it, but I've got to do it. I'm G-Man, and I have a dead man's party to get to. So until next season, I want to thank you for falling with me into the void. I'm all just the-